0: The idea of the U.S. mayor is far from new, dating back to the 1600s when a man named Thomas Willett was named mayor of New York City, cementing his place in history and in turn laying the groundwork for centuries to come. It was a simpler time as the New Yorker was elected simply for his ability to switch between speaking fluent Dutch and fluent English. Nonetheless, the idea of the mayor stuck and still stands strong today. Over the years, the role of mayor has evolved and the power of a mayor varies from city to city. What they hope for and work towards also varies, depending on challenges and issues facing that particular city. The average length of service is also changing, with the longest-serving mayor in history reigning for six decades until passing away at the age of 99, acting as the outlier. No matter where the city they serve lies, all mayors have one thing in common, a fiery passion for the place they lead and a bold vision to make that spot the greatest it can be. The history of the mayor in the Zenith City is a long and celebrated one, with 40 different mayors taking the position throughout the course of history. The newest mayor of Duluth was officially sworn in on January 2, 2024, after defeating incumbent Emily Larson in November in a landslide in one of the most talked about mayoral elections Duluth has had in years. Now Roger Reinhart is front and center, primed for his new role as mayor, something he has seemingly been preparing for throughout his entire life and career in public service. While he's been the mayor of Duluth. Less than two months, he is no stranger to serving the people of Minnesota, doing so across the state in a multitude of ways over the years, including two years in the House of Representatives, five years on the Duluth City Council, where he was elected president twice, and six years in the Minnesota Senate. Politics aside, he is also a licensed attorney a teacher, sailor, licensed pilot, and an award-winning commander in the U.S. Navy Reserve. His educational background is just as impressive, earning multiple degrees throughout his career, including one from the University of Minnesota in the Twin Cities, another from Minnesota State University in Mankato, and a law degree from Mitchell Hamlin Law School in St. Paul. With his impressive resume and decades of experience in a number of fields, Roger is now full steam ahead on what will likely be his most public-facing and challenging role yet as mayor of Duluth. One thing rings true, he will bring his Minnesota values to the job, the state where he was born and raised as one of seven children. With a strong Midwestern upbringing, an impressive education, and extensive experience serving in many different roles, Mayor Reinhart is focused on making Duluth the best it can be, with an emphasis on effective and efficient core city services, better communication between leadership and its constituents, and as he puts it, creating a city that works. Less than two months into his role as mayor of Duluth, Roger Reinhart is here to talk about his journey to becoming mayor and his plans for his first term. Mayor Reinhart, thank you so much for being here today.
1: Well thanks for having me. And I I want to copy that and that can be the introduction for everything uh, from here forward because I love the history part. If for folks who are a part of the or had a chance to attend or hear the inauguration, it really was all about the history the history of the role of mayor in the city of Duluth as well as the the history of our city hall, which is really impressive, and a, a lot of people didn't know. Even city employees didn't know the history of the building that that they work in every day. So history is something that uh, uh, means a lot to me, and it's such a great. Just as you used it as a foundation for this conversation, that's how I used it as a foundation for taking office. Okay.
0: Well, now you've probably piqued the interest of our listeners. Quickly, what is the history of Duluth City Hall? Because now it now
1: that's that's <laughs> I just took you off script, well, right? You did. you
0: did. But that's okay. <laughs>
1: yeah. That's okay. Well, Well, I think a lot of folks know that, you know, we call the the city hall, the courthouse and the federal building, the civic center, which is super confusing if you're not from Duluth because everywhere else you say civic center and they head to the convention center. Right, right. Uh, But in Duluth, it's that complex of buildings as well as the plaza and the statue and the fountain. And they were collectively designed by famous architect, Daniel Burnham, who was out of Chicago and most notably is famous for the Chicago World's Fair, World's Exposition and for our literary friends out there um, who really was highlighted in the book The Devil in the White City. Um, Fascinating read um, for those who are interested in history and I guess mass murderers because it's this weird (laughs) combination of the two. Daniel Burnham was the architect and then he designed the county building. I forget who the lead architect was on the federal building and then the city hall was yet a different architect but all within this um, intention for it to be a real physical space Base, a center, a civic center for the community. And then in doing my own homework um, for the my comments in the inauguration, one of the things I found out and thought was fascinating is the flagpole and the statue that's there, which was to commemorate losses in World War I, uh, was designed by Cass Gilbert, uh, sure. who designed the state capitol. Sure. And then went on and hit the, our Minnesota state capitol was his most, at the time in his thirties, his most prominent. Work so far. He then went on to do like 12 other state capitol buildings right. and most notably the U.S. Um, Supreme Court building in Washington, right. D.C. Right. So, as you noted, having served at the capitol, I loved it. Uh, I'm that geek. The two places you'll find um, his kind of noted architectural technique, I guess, of a floating staircase, which you will find in both the state capitol and the Supreme Court building done by Cass Gilbert. And it's, it's a stairway uh, on multiple. Levels uh, cantilevered into the exterior of the building, so there's no support underneath the stairway, so it floats as you go That's up amazing. and down it.
0: All right, you did get us off script, so we're going to go back <laughs> and we're going to we're going to get to to uh, to your role as mayor and, and your uh, your your vision for the city. But uh, we always like to talk about the journey. So uh, you were born in Olivia, Minnesota, I was, and, which yeah. is kind of southwestern corn Minnesota. capital of Minnesota, the, <laughs> corn capital of Minnesota, yeah. and we're. Were
1: you? Did you grow up in Olivia? Only at a very young age. We moved, I think, when I was in about kindergarten. No, somewhere in elementary school. Um, so my dad spent his career running grocery stores. Oh, And so he started out life as a butcher with a technical school degree and then became the manager of then the Red Owl uh, in both Olivia. And Olivia was the large town. The neighboring town was Redwood Falls. So dad managed both stores. And then we moved because he and my mom bought a grocery store. And and uh, um, ran that themselves. So I always say, like, the worst kept secret is I'm not originally from Duluth. Which, right we we always identify ourselves by which high school we went to. I'm like, well, right, right, right. I always say. I would have gone to Denfeld right. had I lived in Duluth because I've always lived on the western side of town but graduated uh, from high school in Dawson which is out on the South Dakota border oh, really? um, okay. did my undergraduate at the University of Minnesota and then first came over Thompson Hill when I was like 21 years old really I, I mean it's a corny story but it's absolutely true um, had grown up being fascinated by the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald so like if if people are are unhappy about me being in Duluth and in this role blame Gordon Lightfoot oh ah, okay <laughs> I heard, right. heard the song okay. well he's,
0: he's he's no longer with us now right? so that's okay yeah. blame him yeah
1: people yeah. you know you can still be upset Uh, but I heard the song and then like the, this is very me went down a rabbit hole you know if they had YouTube at the time I would have watched all the videos but they didn't so I just read the books and read the right. stories about the ship and Great Lakes and shipwrecks and you know if you've been to that part of the state it's prairie right like the only you tree mean the state where you in, yeah where you're from, right. The, that South Dakota border area, the only trees were planted as windbreaks. They didn't grow there naturally, um, and it is flat. So I always had this romantic vision of some place in Minnesota where there was water, because we didn't have any right. of that. And came over, it was in my early 20s, came over Thompson Hill and was like, what is this? And really, I mean, from then on, it was, um, how do I get here? And right. Well, and
0: so, and, and I guess that begs the question, how did you get here?
1: <laughs> You know, so I came... we we know you, you drove to <coughs> yeah right Hill and the side of Lake, it... <laughs> right um, you know it was in that era in the 90s when you know you had people just choosing I want to live in Duluth and so like I had this whole cohort of friends who none of us were like working according to our degrees or our background or what was the... your degree in by the way so my undergrad's a teaching degree okay. and then my master's is in public policy and so my
0: and then did you have those uh, already or yep. did you okay I did yeah.
1: Uh, and my first job in Duluth was actually working at the med school at UMD as a kind of a curriculum specialist. I was there to help the docs who were faculty be better teachers, and many of them weren't really interested in that. <laughs> so I didn't find it my most fulfilling role ever. But it was that, you know, it was an era where there were a lot of people that were glad to be here and, luck and felt, felt glad they had a job. And so, you know, maybe we talk a little bit about this, but our economy it has come so so far, you know, where now you just you have the ability for people to go to school and stay certainly within certain fields, but that was just not that era. Right. So I actually ended up um, leaving that role and then being self-employed for a good while, doing um, some staff training, um, staff development, strategic planning work based on the um, teaching background and the public policy background, um, and and continued to do that even when I joined the city council in oh something, oh <laughs> four. <laughs> All right. We'll, in the early 2000s, let's we'll say. Take that. Your, we'll take your. <laughs> you can your Google word it for, for it. It. It's yeah. out there. <laughs> so tell my wiki us. is up to date. I'll say that.
0: All right. So two, so 2004 or so. Yeah.
1: What led mm-hmm. you
0: to decide to run for city
1: council? Well, and I had run in '01. That date I remember well, um, and had been recruited. Uh, there had been an, you know, in Duluth, that there's an opening on the city council. It's filled by appointment, um, and we've seen that a few times in the last couple of years now. And so there had. Been an opening on the city council and I had applied, not knowing that not being originally from Duluth and only having been here for a few years, I had no chance. Um, <laughs> which right. was the political reality. Like, who is he? Um, but in this interview process, there were folks who were like, Oh, uh, like they saw something they that resonated. And so afterwards, people came and said, Hey, would you ever consider sure. actually um running for office? And so did run in 01. It was a district race at the time. Uh there were like 60, uh, like 6,000, a little over 6,000 votes cast, and I lost by, on the day of the election, by 32 votes. So did, I've actually been through the whole recount process, um, and I will just say, just fill in the little oval. Just right. just fill in the little oval. Right. Um, don't star, don't circle, don't draw an arrow towards, yep. uh, <laughs> just fill in the little oval. Um, so we went through the recount, and at the end of the day, it was uh, actually 16 votes Wow. by it was uh, you know I always say I'm a civics teacher by heart so it was a really fascinating process but that then sort of led to then joining the council a couple of years later so
0: interesting and so you didn't win in 2001 who, who won
1: at that time it was Neil Atkins okay, which know. is a name that a lot of uh, folks with long Duluth memories well remember he had served at that time he had served for two or three terms had gone off and was coming back on and so he and he and I actually ended up serving Together because he was in a district seat and I was in an at-large seat and got along great and and, and are still friends. So and that was actually you know something I really learned on the city council that I took with me to St. Paul and still is really important to me today. Is we can have good personal relationships even when we disagree. Right. Like disagree and so much now in American politics is um, if we disagree I have to dislike and even more than dislike I have to hate you. Right. Oh now yeah. And it's it's so yeah personal and divisive and so you know and maybe we'll talk a little bit about the campaign but that was something that was really important to me and I really tried to reflect in the way we ran our campaign.
0: Well it's interesting you should say that because uh, you're this is going to be our first episode of of season five of this podcast. Our last episode of season four was Don Ness and uh, not your immediate predecessor but he has the exact same view about getting along with people and disagreeing but not being disagreeable. Correct yeah. And, And and so it's interesting and and uh, hopefully that's still the case in in Duluth, even if it's not being modeled by uh, our uh, national
1: uh, political figures. Well, and it was something that really drew me. You know, if you had asked me for sure two years ago, um, you know, would I be here doing this? I would have I would have. Probably used an adult word and said no. Uh, I mean, it was just like nope. You know, I've done all the, I've done my time, I've done my service, and you know, continue to serve in the Navy, and that's something I'm very proud of. But like that chapter is closed, and you know, as people talk to me about it, and I went from a hard no to okay, I'll I'll listen. What you just raised was an important part. (laughs) Local government is where I think you still can not be so divisive in politics, and that nonpartisan nature was really appealing to me. I I didn't run with a party endorsement. I didn't run with those uh, labels. I always said, yep, I'm a D... Duluth. Right, <laughs> like that's, right. That's what I'm passionate about. Right.
0: But it, now you, you have run in partisan races sure. before yep. as well because you served in the, uh, yep. House in the of Minnesota yeah. House of Representatives and the Minnesota Senate. And Correct. As a Democrat. As a dem- yes. DFLer. Yep. Okay. And so tell us a little bit about, well, first of all, tell us tell us about winning your first race on city council and then how you wound up uh, going from city council to the Minnesota
1: House and sure. the Minnesota yeah. Senate. Yeah. It's funny. You know what I remember better is not winning. <laughs> that, that, that first race. You know, uh, many of us remember Herb Bergson, who has now um, passed, but uh, it was the same night Herb won a seat on the Duluth City Council, and he and I had done a lot of door knocking and campaigning together. And so I just remember him saying, Oh, if we'd only done, and he was a door knocker. Like, he, lo- I, it's not my thing, but he loved it with a passion. If we'd only done one more neighborhood, yeah. Roger would have won. And, I, votes, and I'm out yeah. there going, We did everything we could. Right. Like, we did it all. And, you know, just came up a little bit short, um, you know, but the draw to the legislature really was about, you know, it was in the era leading up to the Great Recession. And so we would continually, I was frustrated, we would continually set the city budget. And then at that time, Governor Tim Pawlenty would unalot, lot um, so sort of a line item veto, our local government aid, which in Duluth is a big part of our revenue. So we'd end up coming back at the end of the year and have to make really drastic cuts to things like, I mean, initially it was parks and libraries, but then it was like public safety, police, and fire. And it just, I was frustrated that this relationship didn't seem to be working well of the state and local government. Um, And then Mike Yaros, who had been a representative for over 30 years, announced a retirement. And I thought, yeah, I want to go and try and improve this relationship. And, you know, while I uh, ran under that with a party endorsement, um, I really just like now was passionate about our community and you know when I look back the things I remember most are projects we got done in Duluth um, while I was while I was serving in St. Paul
0: so and so you you, you that was your house and, and that morphed into running
1: for Senate yeah and then Yvonne Pretner Solon Senator Solon sure. uh, announced a retirement just two years later and uh, you know we always kidded that um, if you went to the Senate from the House you'd been housebroken <laughs> uh, uh, but you know the Senate had uh, longer terms, so you had a right. little bit. You weren't always constantly thinking about this pending reelection, but you right. could uh, sort of think about where you're trying to go and some work that might take a little bit of time. To, to be honest, and I think most people don't pay enough attention, and, and I and I and I, nor should you. I get that. But the the big difference between the House and Senate is, and if you're a senator, you get to have a staff person uh, <laughs> that you pick. A big, so, that's a big deal, you know. In the House, if you're in the my in the majority, it's a staff person per two members. In the minority, it's a staff person for three. In the Senate, it's one-on-one because there's 67 senators right. for the state. So it was like, ooh, that's appealing <laughs> to have one person to help me do this work. Yeah, and there's been a lot of—I I happen to have a, a really good friend who practiced law for
0: many, many years with him, and he's got his start uh, as a uh, as an aide, as a staffer sure. yep. uh, for a, a Senate, uh, uh, Minnesota State Senator, Bill Luther, who—
1: oh, sure. Who uh, yep. wound up becoming a you know, congressman be,
0: becoming a congressman so anyway and he's, he's just uh, really enjoyed his time working for for bill luther and and kind of made it one of the reasons he decided to go and uh, go to law school so okay so now you just time frame wise uh when did you when did you first run for and get elected to the u.s to the minnesota senate
1: well so i joined the house i ran for the house in 08 and did the one two-year term and then the senate in 2010 so um, and another little nuance in Minnesota is there's a short term. So the Senate is generally a four-year term, but there's a short term in the Minnesota Senate at the start of a decade to account for the census and redistricting. Right. So, um, two years into a decade, the entire legislature's on the ballot because districts have changed. So did the short term, um, which was uh, I came in. It was the first time in four, almost fifty years, the Senate went from DFL to Republican. So I came in in the minority
0: in 2010. In yeah, 2010. that was a wipeout year. Yeah, it was. That was. was uh,
1: that was a. That was a wipeout there were 24 year for, new senators. 24 yeah. out of 67, so a third, almost right. a half of the Senate was brand new. Um, three Democrats and 21 Republicans. That
0: yeah. <laughs> so was, yeah, like, was a wipeout. Now yeah. things changed in 2012. But so, so you. So that was your first term then and then got reelected in, in
1: 2012. 2012 and then served a full four-year term you know and um coming to the end of that now it's between the council and the legislature it'd been almost 15 years i'm like you know That's a good amount of service, and I've always believed that um, you don't, it's not my Senate seat, right? Right, right. Um, And the moment I stopped thinking that there wasn't somebody else who could do it at least as well, if not better, like that's problematic. And so just felt like a time to transition. Um, And uh, the thing I hadn't counted on or maybe didn't fully anticipate was as soon as I left the legislature, the Navy was like, oh, you've not deployed. anywhere yet. So <laughs> within, a, within a year of leaving the legislature, uh, I knew that I was on my way to Afghanistan. So.
0: Wow. Wow. Okay, so we're going to we're going to get to that. In fact, I want to because we've been talking about this political career of yours, uh, we haven't been talking about your naval career and the fact that they overlapped. So Correct. so yep. how did you first get involved in the navy?
1: So I'm fourth generation navy. My great-grandfather fought in World War 1. Um, my grandfather in Korea, uh, World War II, Korea, and Vietnam. Wow, that's then, your, your grandfather? Yep. Wow. Um, and then I have uncles on both sides that were lifetime Navy um, sailors. So, you know, in my generation, no one had served. And I had thought about it coming out of high school and was pretty convinced that I would get kicked out if I joined because <laughs> I was I was a little uh, independent and, uh, and whatnot. So, you know, uh, in my early thirties, I was active in the Duluth Air Show and I'm at a board meeting and uh, one of the other board members shows up and we call them the top guns, the short sleeve summer white uniform shows up in this uniform. I'm like, you're in the Navy? And he's like, oh, I'm in the Navy Reserves. And he starts telling me about the Navy Reserves and I'm telling him this story about my family and how it always kind of had been like a missed opportunity. Mm. And uh, he's like, it's not too late. I'm 31 at the time. Oh, he's like, oh no, it's not too late. So I went through this pretty rigorous process that took about 18 months months of applying for and receiving a commission spent my first eight years in intel uh oh, and then at that at eight years in moved from intel to um public affairs so and, would,
0: and this is in the reserve so about correct. how much time are you spending doing that uh, because i know it's in stints sometimes it's yep. weekends. sometimes it's a, a
1: you know in coming in after nine right. eleven, there was no there was never a one weekend a month two right. weeks a year sort of thing especially in intel it was it was um pretty frequent the Limiting factor there was needing to be in a top secret facility, which we do have one in Minnesota. So that's where I did the, the bulk of that work. When I moved from Intel to public affairs, uh, it no longer uh, top secret kind of stuff. Right. So, and especially in the role I have now as a commander and executive officer, you know, I do something Navy almost on a daily basis. You do okay. Yeah.
0: So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, what you were doing as you as you phased out of the Senate and kind of were phasing out of politics and. Then the Navy
1: says oh well you have we have a job yet. for you <laughs> so so, t- so tell us about that here's my favorite part of that story you know I was leaving knew I was uh, leaving the legislature knew that every one of my peers had gone to Iraq or Afghanistan right The the Navy's involvement in both of those um, uh, conflicts was trying to plug army holes so right. if you were kind of a team of one if you were legal or public affairs or Intel or logistics um, um, uh, it's an IA, an individual augmentee. Um, you'd you'd go as a team of one, and most of my peers had. So one, just from a, a desire to serve. I mean, you ca- I came in after 9/11. I knew this was part of the right. deal. And two, from just a continuing my Navy career um, to be in com- in competitive promotion, like this is a call I need to answer. So I actually called up the detailer at the Pentagon and said, Hey, you wouldn't know this, but I'm leaving elected service because that was a kind of a classification that. Prevented me from being deployed, uh, and I've not deployed yet. And uh, she was like, "You're right, You're like top of the list. Yeah, well. <laughs> I like think everyone else has, and you have it. You don't have any medical issues, like." So she was like, "Well, let's talk about here. Here's the literally the spreadsheet of um, of IA opportunities, places we need people to go." And so I cho- and I had started law school um, it, during when I was in the Senate doing a weekend program. So I was like, "Hey, I just let me finish law school. Let me." take the bar exam, and then wherever you need me to go. And so we had looked at a deployment that would have started in September, um, which graduation was May. The bar was July, deploy in September. Okay, Okay, great. We're all on board with that. And then out of the blue, about a month later, the reserve center in Minneapolis calls and says, hey, sir, I'm sure you know you're going to Afghanistan in June. Nope. (laughs) <laughs> no, nope, that was not the plan. Wow. <laughs> wow. Well, we've got the orders right here. So we all, you know, there, uh, as, um, veterans out there, those serving will understand the dark humor uh, of, well, needs of the Navy. Like that just, right. whatever we agreed, right. doesn't matter. Right, right. The Needs of the Navy are you're going to Afghanistan in June.
0: Okay, but you, you would not finish law school then. So I did graduate. You graduated in June. And
1: deployed you... 10 days later. Yeah. So when did you take the bar? After a year of a combat
0: deployment. Wow. Combat. Yeah. Wow. wow. You've had a year to forget everything. (laughs) Holy cow!
1: Okay, do we have time for another story? We've got got, got plenty of
0: time. (laughs) I just want to—I just want to uh, compliment you on your incredible uh, resolve and discipline. It must be what you—you get in the Navy because uh, Roger has had in front of him this entire podcast, (laughs) the most delicious-looking donut from Johnson Bakery. Which, Let's give a plug which, to Johnson's which, yes, Bakery. So he is he is looking at that and yep. he, he's he's done a great job of not. Touching cream, it cream filled. Yes. Yeah, so mm-hmm. Maple so topping, maybe. It will. I, I have no doubt it's going to be consumed shortly after this podcast. It but will it, be I just, for if sure. anyone was wondering if, if uh, the Duluth mayor We're, has discipline, I can assure <laughs> you that he's got incredible discipline. <laughs> we'll get a photo to prove it.
1: <laughs> no, just to follow up on a comment you just made um, about two months in. So my job in Afghanistan was to be the public affairs officer officer for um, the commanding officer It was called C-Sticka, we're all about abbreviations, Combined Security Transition Command. So all of the training of Afghan forces, all the material came in through that command. So about a $7 billion budget flowed through that command. And about two months in, the um, commanding general was replaced um, by a new individual who then also became the deputy commander of all U.S. forces in Afghanistan. So I worked directly for him. And one day, and he had this habit of... his direct reports one-on-one and having kind of a get-to-know-you conversation. So you know those who have deployed know you have almost no personal space or time to yourself. And so mine was always I got up early, I'd get my run in, I'd go um, to the dining facility and have breakfast. And it was like my one little time to be by myself. And so I'm sitting there eating and someone sits across the table from me and I'm like grumble, grumble, grumble. And I look up, oh, good morning, sir. How are you? <laughs> and it's the three-star general yeah. uh, wow. who, in the in this conversation, proceeds to tell me that you know doesn't care for the Navy. Uh, he's an Army guy. Right, right, right. Um, you know what are the reserves? Because he's been active duty his entire career. Doesn't trust attorneys. And I had. Graduated right yeah. at that time, and really dislikes the media. And I'm the public affairs right. officer, so I'm like, okay, sir. And 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 says, and you're gonna have plenty of time to study for that bar while you're over here. You're not gonna have much to do. <laughs> wherever he went I went so right. no I came came home and yeah you know going through a hard re-entry like a lot of folks do after deployments uh, also trying to study I got home in May and took the bar in July so
0: wow that's amazing and you've obviously passed I did yeah so that's that's fabulous so the the three star is he still a three star or is he unsure, st- <laughs> unsure? <Okay. laughs> so you haven't stayed close we have not no <laughs> Okay. All right. So, so that's amazing. So you got back from Afghanistan. So we're
1: now what? Two thousand. I was. I got back in twenty nineteen. Yep. Twenty
0: nineteen. Passed the bar. Then you did you did you start private practice or?
1: Well, I mean, like I said, you know, went through a pretty difficult reentry. Went through a divorce. Or shortly after the been there, done that. Now yeah, you never think it's going to be you, yeah. uh, but it's you know it's a pretty common story for right. a lot of veterans after combat deployments and so thought life was moving in one direction and it didn't. And then short story, I'm like, oh, I have this law degree and I'm admitted. So right. I, I guess this is what I'm going to do now. Because I would never gone to law school with the intent to practice. It was to use, you know, it's such a practical advanced degree, right. contracts and property and insurance and business. And it is so applicable in so many ways. So I did do a little bit, but then, then COVID right, came yeah. the very next year uh and the Navy came calling again and said, Hey, we've got this job over in Italy, which at the start of COVID wow. was the global hotspot yeah, as no where things initially started melting down. Very similar to what you did in Afghanistan. Um and we'd like you to go go do this for us. And so we'd like to say I got ball and told. Technically <laughs> I volunteered, ball and told, um, to head over right, you know, third week of March twenty twenty. I was I was making my wow. way overseas while most people were coming home.
0: Yeah. It's, it's it's funny, uh, my fiance and I, she's still my fiance and I. But we were right when you were deploying over to Italy. We were deciding that we weren't going to be able to go get married in Italy. We had the whole place picked out. We were going to get married in October, and then and, and COVID hit, and that yeah. was it. So we we'll was still someday we'll we'll get uh, we'll get to Italy. But uh, but anyway, uh, so you went at the height, yeah, because Italy was almost ground
1: zero for it a was. while yep. in, in in terms of <laughs> and and for say. the Navy we have. So our commander of the U.S. Sixth Fleet, which is the Mediterranean, is based in Naples, Italy. And then our commander of all uh, naval forces in Europe and Africa is also based in Naples, Italy. So, you know, we had our active duty sailors trying to manage a lot of real world, real time stuff. And that's really what the reserve is there for. And and now throw COVID, a pandemic on top of that. So we put together a team of 13 that was just focused on COVID um, and how do we communicate to sailors that were in three continents, six bases, five countries, and monitoring how, you know, this was the time when, oh, Sweden's not going to do anything. It's going to do herd immunity. And we'll see how, you know, so we're trying to follow all of that and and provide guidance to the admirals and then get that communicated out to 15,000 sailors and their families. Wow. Just, uh, just amazing. So how long were you in Italy then? I came, so I came home mid-June because everyone will remember COVID was over. (laughs) Yeah, yeah <laughs> so yeah. they're like, well, everyone can go home now. Um, and then, uh, so June of 2020, 20, yeah. So it was only there for about three months. Yeah, COVID sure wasn't home. Exactly right. <laughs> yeah.
0: So okay, so you're coming, you're coming back, and the sad thing is that Italy probably would be a really fun place to be deployed if it wasn't in the
1: middle of a pandemic. Yeah, I, yeah. I really didn't see. You know, no. they were. I a true quarantine. I remember for two weeks, uh, seventeen days. I was you know Googling prison cell work workouts, And how do you cut your own hair? Because I couldn't, I couldn't leave my room. Right. People would drop food off at the door, um, and then uh, Italy was in a full lockdown until about the third week of May. So there were a couple weekends where a couple folks like tried to get us out to see a few things before we went back stateside. But I really didn't, I really didn't see much other than just the immediate Naples.
0: Well, that's uh, that, that's unfortunate that you didn't get to see more of uh, Italy. But you're back now. We're, we're at June of 2020, and uh, uh, so, so tell us what, what, what happened next. I'd been
1: serving on the deck board for almost a decade. Um, and
0: just so everyone knows what the deck is, if people are not familiar with Duluth, it's the Duluth uh, Entertainment and, and convention, convention Center. center right?
1: so. And as folks can imagine, in the height of COVID, was not over. And in the height of the pandemic, it really, you know, it's almost, it's 800,000 square feet of space, right. like generates money by people getting together. Uh, the struggle for the deck was uh, it qualified for almost no financial help because it was a governmental entity. It's an authority, but was not a subset of a municipality so didn't fall into any of these buckets of like ARPA money and things that were coming out of the federal government so um, you know it it required a lot of fiscal discipline at one point we were running the facility with 12 full-time staff and a couple part-time from what had been almost 600 people but the singular goal and I was there for a year was just to ensure it survived um, because that was not a given. I stepped in with about a one point two million dollar reserve and about a two hundred fifty thousand dollar a month loss. Ooh, um, so well, you can do that math. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the re- it's not pretty. Um, and by You've that, got about four months of runway. Right, five months maybe. And when I left, um, we had almost a four million dollar budget reserves. So wow, it was a nosedive that we arrested and then um, and then built back up. So. so when did you when did you leave? May of twenty twenty one. So just shy of a year.
0: Year. Okay, May of 2021. Okay, so we're getting close. Yeah, we're get, we're and getting then close. did practice. <laughs> you did practice.
1: Yep. You, so then I did go back. Um, my practice, Ryan and Associates. Um, we went. We went full. Primarily working in uh, my area of expertise: local units of government. Doing things like joint powers work. Doing some training with elected officials. Um, working with um, statewide organizations like the League of Minnesota Cities, the Association of Minnesota Counties. Um, also, um, my favorite elected officials that no one knows exist, but I do, the Soil and Water Conservation District Supervisors. Next time you flip that ballot over, right. there they are. Um, I do a lot of work with, did do a lot of work with them and their state association. Um, and then also started teaching. I So I had taught at Lake Superior College, had taught at UMD, had taken a break, and then started teaching again at the College of St. Scholastica, doing um, some uh, legal aspects coursework for the business majors there. And Interesting.
0: Okay, so uh, we're now uh, now we're we're full fledged on to 2021, 2022. At some point, uh, you start thinking about running for mayor. Well, others started. <laughs>
1: That's okay. How that okay, and it started kind of at the tail end of my time at the deck, and it really went over and over and over again. Something like, "Hey, I know you'd never do this, but you should think about." "Hey, I'm sure you probably don't want to do this, but I wish you would think about." So,
0: can I just ask you? And I don't, I don't necessarily mean you should identify these people, but by name. But what sort of people were were coming to you with this?
1: I mean, it was a spectrum of. It was some folks that had um, interactions with the deck as a facility and had now had some interactions. With me in that leadership role, it was people out in the community. When I just go to things like Taste of Greece or community events, it was really random. And you know, I'm a strong uh, um, uh, person of faith, and so there was a point at which I'm like, "Okay, God, you're trying to tell me something." And the more I decide I'm not going to listen to this, the more you are having people come in and say something to me. So that really was a point where I'm like, "Okay, I'm going to listen because I think you're trying to say, you know, speak to me." And then as soon as I did. I started to realize that the things that people were sharing as concerns were thing I, things I also had concerns about as a resident. Um, and then I then I, I blame the Navy, because as soon as I understood the mission, okay, <laughs> you know, and, and as I, like I said, I kind of have the heart of a civics teacher. At some point, I also realized that if the worst thing that happens is we have a meaningful election, which we had not had for four cycles since Don Ness's first election, so almost 20 when years. When you say
0: meaningful, what, what do you mean?
1: mean by that? Well, you know, in Don's second term, he ran unopposed. Right. Um, and, uh, and I don't That mean, would have been really embarrassing if he had lost. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I, I don't, I genuinely don't mean this disparagingly to um, either of the candidates who ran against Mayor Larson, but they were not well known. They didn't have big bases of support. And it reflected really lopsided wins, but also, more importantly, really low voter turnout. Right. So in in uh, 2015, uh. Th- uh Forty one percent voter turnout in Duluth, Minnesota, where we pride ourselves right. on voter turnout, and then four years later it was like thirty eight percent. Two thirds right. of people in twenty nineteen did not vote in the mayoral right. election. Two thirds. So, you know, when we look at this election from last fall, the margin of victory, great. The thing I'm most proud of fifty four percent voter yeah, turnout. Okay. More than some states get in a presidential right. election. Right. And that's the Duluth that I know. So
0: let's uh, so so when did you when did you actually declare your candidate?
1: to see? Uh, January of 2023. um, I kind of had a soft launch in December with folks that I knew were excited. But I think, uh, you know, to take that question one step further, when did I make my mind up? Probably May of 2022. I remember sitting with uh, a longtime friend who was also pushing and just encouraging. And I was like, yeah, I think I'm in.
0: So originally, I think Emily Larson was not planning on running and then at some point there's a lot of politicians do they decide that they do want to run again? Because obviously, uh, even though a lot of your positions have been nonpartisan, partisan when you have run in a partisan position, it's been as a Democrat. Uh, Emily Larson is a Democrat. What were some of the policy differences that you felt were important to distinguish what you were going to be running on versus what Emily Larson was going to be running on?
1: And so just like I did during the campaign, I, I shy away from the compare and contrast because I really do think that's the, the work of the voter. But what, what I will say is, And I think this was reflected in a lot of conversations I had almost 3,000 one-on-one and small group conversations over the course of the campaign, just an attention to the basics. I don't want to say getting back to, but highlighting, making a priority. And so you saw that in what we talked about, Um, you know, the most basic responsibility, I love the opening um, uh, that you gave today, the most basic responsibility of city government is streets, utilities, and public safety, police and fire. You know, we have to do those things well before people trust us to do anything else. And so I do think there had been kind of an erosion of trust with voters that they felt like, well, the things I'm seeing talked about as city priorities are not my priorities. What I want is my street, if not to be new, at least to be fixed. Um, I want a tax burden that I can afford. Um, I want to be able to buy a home in the community I've lived in for a lifetime. You know, My my kids are able to get jobs in Duluth, but they can't buy homes in Duluth. Um, And what's a Available for rental is unaffordable so those those really basic things that I, I just passionately believe are our core city responsibilities
0: right right well I know that um, obviously there's there was some look being mayor is a tough job and i really i don't know emily larson i've met her a couple times she seems very nice she seemed to care about about duluth but it seemed like in talking to people at least in the business community that there was sort of a, a at times a blind spot that that they just weren't getting listened to, and uh, and so it's it sounded to me from people I spoke to that they really f- felt uh, at least from 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 that side of things, from the business community side of things, that hopefully you're going to be uh, uh, listening to to those folks, not necessarily doing everything they want, but sure. listening to them.
1: Well, and I think uh, I just had a meeting this morning with a with what'll be my monthly business roundtable, and one of the things that I shared with them is you know a product of a robust campaign. Where people are engaged and paying attention is we had lots of opportunity to talk about why growing business and growing our commercial tax base, you know, from a city standpoint, we care about tax base. That's how we pay the bills. So when we're not doing a good job of growing our business, and in Minnesota business, commercial tax pays about two thirds of the bill. So when we're not doing a good job of growing that, the burden shifts to residential. Right. Right. And anyone in Duluth who owns a home and pays that bill knows that that has right. happened. You know, we saw that, um, that, residential rate about double in the last uh, eight years, while we saw home valuations go up by over 50% because of just lack of inventory. So right. for the average homeowner, people are like, I, I, I'm i getting taxed out of my home and, and I've seen my taxes double. Like That's not just um, an exaggeration. For many, that was true. So the product of this election cycle is um, we're going to talk about business because we need to grow that commercial tax base. And we have really great um, hubs of things Things like medical and higher ed and transportation and aviation and really great opportunities to add to those hubs. The challenge for us as a city is making sure that we are providing the opportunities to develop housing within the community. So you know the Incline Village project right, on the Central right. High School site is huge news. It's an entire new neighborhood right, for our community, right. providing housing down, uh, creating housing opportunities downtown. Right. Um, so we have people living downtown is a huge opportunity. Well,
0: and that's us. that's one of the things I want to uh, talk to you about uh, sort of your vision for downtown Duluth because I, I like a lot of downtowns right it's it's seen uh, an exodus of of say office workers uh, because yep. of so many office workers since the pandemic yeah. work from home but for instance in Minneapolis and Minneapolis has had its own challenges sure. uh, since uh, George Floyd's murder and and uh, and and what's happened and that kind of exacerbated what was going on in the city but if you go into the, uh, downtown Minneapolis you don't see nearly as many office workers but you see a lot more people living in downtown Minneapolis and you see project after project that's pre-sold people wanting to to,
1: to be downtown yeah. so Minneapolis I you know like I think many Duluthians generally don't want the twin cities to be my model for anything Right? right? We, all, we pride ourselves on that but I will say two things for Minneapolis that I think are really important for us all to um, look at and and think about number one inventory like they have done a great Great job of getting inventory to market, and that has lowered prices and lowered rents. Right, you know, um, creating affordable or ultra affordable housing is important, but it's also very expensive and requires a, a lot of public dollars. Another strategy is getting a lot of inventory on market, which just makes it's a it's the market at work. It lowers right. overall entry points right. for everyone, right. and in our case, frees up existing housing. That's exactly it. Right. Um, the other thing is their downtown is their fastest growing residential neighborhood, right. as ours should be coming back to kind of your original question downtowns began as retail transitioned to commercial and professional and now are transitioning to residential so when i look at things like um, an opportunity to um, do something with the the main library downtown instead of we wouldn't have, probably not have put it in that location if we were to locate it today especially with the with the uh, northern lights express coming across the street and that end of downtown being Our best residential opportunities. So, that location is a great opportunity to have residential and retail. And a library, combining those right. services in a building that the city doesn't own, but someone else does, and we actually get to collect property taxes on it as well.
0: Right. So you talked about the Northern Lights Express as a
1: done deal is coming. So uh, I want to hear about your uh, your optimistic vision for that. Well, like you said, that it's in place already, and I'm a fan of transportation. So every uh, transportation connection we get is good for Duluth. So um, having rail, having the port, having commercial rail, having the airport, having the freeway. I want all the things because that's important for us as a regional center and continuing to move forward, especially the connections to the metro. What is even more in my interest right now is the development that's going to happen around a station to receive the train. From the city standpoint, the train is a little less important than the train station. Right. And the train station with the historic depot and then development around it, the Ordine building and a new building to include the library on that site. All of those are going to present residential opportunities, people to live downtown who want to be able to hop on a train, um, who and then once we have a downtown population, we'll get two other things. We'll get retail opportunities again, restaurants, coffee shops, um, shopping. And we'll just have more eyes on things that tend to flourish when no one's paying attention.
0: Right. Let's talk a little bit about housing because uh, obviously that gets to another issue that Duluth is facing again, like every other city is facing, which is a homeless, uh, a, a large homeless population. Obviously, that's a very difficult problem to solve sure. because there's so many causes. But what
1: what's your vision for that? And it's something that we just need to acknowledge is also a part of being a regional center. You know, we're a regional center for all of northeastern Minnesota and northwestern Wisconsin. And we have services here that other smaller communities don't have. And so folks that are struggling and are are um, looking for some of those services are naturally going to gravitate towards the regional center that has them. But a couple things, again, you know, Number one, getting more housing on the market, not, you know, we created 39 new homes over a decade, 39 new homes over a decade. You're kidding me. We created more, but we also... Demolish some, right. so the net is 39. In and we a need decade, like, in a decade, and we need like 400 tomorrow. Right, and doing that in an aggressive way, the Inclined Village project. There's a couple other things that are coming in the up in the pipeline is going to help because it just creates more affordable entry points right. for a broad spectrum of people. The other thing that we have to acknowledge is the opioid crisis is right. a huge driver behind um, the. It's a huge driver for a lot of folks uh, who find themselves without housing. you know, It exasperates uh, mental health issues. The combination of the two is really a struggle. So one of the things I talked about a lot during the campaign, in addition to the current support we have, is we also need to look at supportive um, housing. So we have the San Marco project, which has proven to be incredibly effective for folks struggling with lifetime chronic alcoholism. Something akin to that for folks that are struggling with opioid addiction will be significant. So that's going to have to be a city county state partnership
0: so if you uh and, and we're running out of time which is shocking to me but uh i'm being told that we are running out of time talk too much so oh. no 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 this is all fascinating Actually, I tell so, too many stories well no and i i asked too many uh ridiculous questions uh what i'd like to know is sort of if if you had to uh predict what the duluth's going to look like at the end of your term and your term is going to end in what four years no. know, f- four years so yeah. 2020 yeah so I was told there'd be no math yes 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 well and yeah you don't want
1: me doing math either
0: so uh, what would you say what what would the differences be that people
1: would see uh, four years from now serious addition of housing secondary and tertiary um, additions to those core industries that we talked about what are the natural businesses that should be where we have an aviation hub should be where we have a medical hub we have two health care systems uh, headquartered here that cover multiple states Incredibly smart and talented people, but we don't do R and D. We don't do product development. We don't do procedural development. You know where are those opportunities? The multimodal of the port and the airport and the rail. Where are those opportunities? I think you're going to continue. You know, we heard the Amazon announcement. You're going to hear more right. things along those lines because we're a hub of of that intermodal, uh, and that's going to be key for us. And it's going to then be also shifting away from a revenue model where we rely on the state to be a third of our revenue to growing our own. And that is growing that commercial tax base. That's what we can control. We can't control the politics in St. Paul. Sometimes they're going to be favorable and sometimes they're not. We have to be able to support our own city services and have them be quality city services. And you'll see a clear refocus on streets, utilities, public safety as as our very basic responsibilities. And then partnerships with other units of government, the public and businesses around things like parks and and the library.
0: Well, uh, okay, I want to ask uh, just a very self-serving question. You talked a, a minute about Amazon, and, and that's of course something that's going to be going on in, in West Duluth. Is it Trader and, Joe's? Is this the question you're going to? No, I'm not going to ask. I'm not going to ask you about Trader Joe's. I'm <laughs> not going to ask you about that. Well, now of course I have to ask you about Trader Joe's. But no, what I was going to ask is, is I'm a recent resident of of Western Duluth and, and the uh, on the St. Louis River, and uh, so I am. I want to know what your plans are for the Western waterfront trail, sure. B- because uh, if eventually it's going to be 10 miles long, but right now it's got three miles, and so w- what's next there?
1: Yeah, well, and also the cross city. We yes. need to finish the cross city trail yes, yes, as absolutely. it heads west. So without my planners here, I can't fully answer your question, um, but what I can say to our listeners who are passionate about West Duluth, I circle back to kind of where we started, like I'm a western half of the city guy, like my circle of life tends to take me out there. I have to, sometimes when I get east of the plaza, I feel like I need a passport because I <laughs> <laughs> don't know, uh, And, and for, if you're not from Duluth, we're 26 miles long. Right. So we're a very, uh, we can be a very east-west kind of city. But, you know, not only completing both Western Waterfront and the cross city, but another thing I'll just throw out there for us to think about, there's a great opportunity for something like Hartley Nature Center out west. Yes. Um, and I happen to think it's uh, Fairmont Park next to the zoo, a hub right. of hiking and biking and even kayaking on the river. Right. Um, um, but, you know, the St. Louis River Corridor, the west of the freeway part of town, It you know, for folks that are here or looking to come here, if you want to be at a place where you can just go out the door and be outdoors, right. you should be looking west. Yeah. It's uh, it's a fabulous place. Uh, well, thank you
0: for giving it another plug. And so we'll look forward to getting... And I should w- mention, my state of the city is going to be at
1: Denfield High School in the
0: auditorium. All right. Aquariums. All right. Well, that's that's great to know. Great to know that your vision is to get the Western w- Waterfront Trail finished, uh, hopefully as as quickly as possible. Uh, you brought up Trader Joe's. Now I got to ask
1: you. <laughs> I, when don't, it- I don't know. Yeah. I am going to cold call them, though.
0: Okay. All right. It does seem like a natural fit, right? There, I, I don't think there's too many places that uh, have the demographics for... Costco but don't have a demographics for trader correct yeah all right well listen uh, uh, this is the for the love of Duluth podcast Uh, so Roger we do ask everyone who's here what they like to do in Duluth when they're not
1: doing their job that's got them here well my three passions are running sailing and flying so uh, avid runner as I've gotten older I've gotten more into trails um, and less on roads Uh, so in fact I was out running the western waterfront um, did six miles on Wednesday Wow um, Holy cow So that's you, you did it twice then Well I, <laughs> I, I went out and back I went to uh, To Riverside and back And then went a little uh, East Because I started at uh, Behind the Munger Inn yeah, um, Sure And uh, not You know I always say I'm a capital S Sailor in the Navy But I'm also a small S Sailor So I've got a sailboat And um, like to get out On the big lake As I'm As uh, I have time to and, uh, and I'm a licensed pilot So an opportunity To get up And see our community wow. From the air our region from the air so all those take time but you I do all take I don't time. have a I'm lot really, of right now
0: but i'm really sick of guests like you who do so many <laughs> damn things so much more than i'm ever gonna do in my life and i got you know my self-esteem just gets battered <laughs> doing this podcast so that's that's
1: now a great I am, thing you know single no kids yeah, so there yeah. you
0: go well i've got kids but they're grown i don't have any excuse i just haven't done this stuff but but uh anyway that's uh, how long
1: have you been sailing uh, i started you know back on those Wednesday night races when you're just basically wait on the boat and so I don't know about 15 years Wow when the power pilot uh, I got my pilot's license in 9 so <sighs> I don't know how many hours total um, but I have the important number is I have well over 500 safe landings so
0: that's great those are the, those are the, those are the good ones yeah those are the ones that don't make the papers so those are good <laughs> exactly. So you know I, we are either out of time or or I'm, I'm being told that I'm just a zero. I'm not sure. I'm not sure which is which is true. Probably both. But uh, we, we, we. I do believe that we are out of time. And uh, Roger, this has just been Thank such you a so treat. Much. I know how incredibly busy you are, and uh, the fact that you took your time out to to spend a little of it with us no, is my so pleasure. Thank deeply you. Deeply appreciated. Thank you.